Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information regarding all kinds of things related to wellness, positive psychology, my own particular approach to it that I call goal achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and lots of other things. It's also the place where you can recommend guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, we have been very fortunate in having really super guests who both lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different ways of helping us to lead our lives both enthusiastically and in a physically and mentally healthy manner. Today's guest is no exception. In fact, he's very special. Dr. Joseph Antoon is CEO and chairman of the board of El Nutra and member of the Forbes Business Development Council. He's the former CEO of Health Systems Reform, a boutique consultancy aimed at improving public health by reforming health systems, management, and delivery. Prior to that, he was Director of Health Policy at the University of Chicago, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Health Systems and Reform, and Head of Business Development for Eli Lilly and Company. He completed his studies in public policy at Harvard University, in public health at Johns Hopkins University, and his doctorate in medicine and master's in medical and biological sciences at St. Joseph's University. So I don't have to tell you that Dr. Antoon has a really, really impressive set of credentials and some of the stuff that he's gotten into beyond that is really groundbreaking. We'll want to hear a whole lot of that. So, Dr. Antoon, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real pleasure and honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Dr. Ron, and uh, my pleasure to be here today. Hopefully, uh, we'll help you achieve your mission of improving the uh, lifestyle and mental journey through for all of us going through the aging process. Great. Well, um, I have no doubt that you're going to be a a wonderful guest for us. Let me start out with, uh, before we look at what you're up to today, as I mentioned, you did have this boutique consultancy aimed at improving public health and reforming health systems and management and delivery. While being part of uh, the health world myself and having some opinions on the matter, I'd like to hear from you uh, what's wrong with health systems and the way it's delivered nowadays. Well, the biggest problem probably with health systems is that we um, the system starts to interfere when it's too late. So most doctors around the world see patients after they become patients and when it's a little bit too late. And then the discoveries that we're putting in the market to help the doctors, the physicians around the world and the nurses are not solving these chronic diseases. They're based on a pill that you have to take every day for the rest of your life, whether that's for blood pressure or blood sugar or blood cholesterol or 
you know, any of the top four diseases or even, you know, Alzheimer's still remains without a solution. Autoimmune diseases, they're fluctuating and diabetes is, is almost a pill every day up until you start injecting insulin and most cancers, you know, are still unsolved. So I feel that instead of working on the essence of what led to these diseases and working on aging, which is actually the main factor beyond the onset of these diseases and helping save most people from the onset to begin with of those diseases. We created a system that, a health system that meets people when it's a little bit too late and doesn't give them a reversal solution, just gives them a mitigation solution for the rest of their life. And we see the symptoms by uh, seeing chronic disease increasing and seeing budgets on healthcare just increasing tremendously year after year. And, and finally, global financial pressures and budgets and health systems are trying to push now the system to do the right thing. It's so interesting and so kind of combined with my thinking that it's, you know, prevention never got a real sexy name to it. And yet, if you can do things from the, the prevention standpoint, you can not only save a whole lot of money, but in, in terms of ourselves, I mean, the way that we feel, if we can prevent problems, obviously it just enhances the way that we feel about ourselves and enhances longevity. So I'm kind of wondering, I mean, you you were trained as a physician, you went through some of the same kinds of things that all these people who are practicing that way went through. How did you happen to uh, kind of change the direction of the course of your own life and uh, your own professional life and really the direction of much of, of healthcare now? Well, you, you mentioned that magic word, which is prevention. And this is what led me to, I started as a physician and then I figured out that the system was broken. And basically as a doctor, I would make money the more somebody is sick, right? Same for the hospital business. Everyone makes money from sick patients. And they thought that should be the opposite when practicing sick care, not health care. So I decided to go and study health policy and public health, and this is what I did at Harvard Hopkins. And I've carried the word prevention across the world. I've been advising so many ministries of health, and I've always pushed for prevention. But like you said, prevention is a set of recommendations. There are, there are sacrifices every day, whether it means you should eat healthy, you should exercise, you should not do this, not do that. And then you have to sacrifice every day for God knows how many years up until you save yourself maybe something you don't know, uh, you know, a year or two or three, and, and you cannot quantify that. So it has never been sexy. And, and my biggest conclusion is, you know, with the markets that have been successful are, or the companies or, or the ideas are ideas that have built markets and products for people to consume, for investors to invest in, for the government or the payers to pay for, for the doctors to prescribe. And this is actually... The third part of my journey, which took me all the way to today at Almutra, I'm leading a company that's vested on consumerizing prevention. And people are used to consume or be able to access something that's practical, that's concise and precise, that can quantify how much it helps them. And whenever they measure, they better manage. And I think this is how suddenly attract payers to come in and help and reimburse and pay and investors to invest. In. And we have to turn prevention from a set of recommendations which are critical and we should pay there, but to complement that with some base for the governments to pay more attention to, and this is by creating market for prevention. 
Well, that would be a, a fantastic thing if we can get a shift in that kind of thinking, because I know, you know, when you think in terms of grants, that government grants and things of that nature, I know in my field, you got a lot better chance of getting a grant for studying depression or schizophrenia than you do for wellness and what components are wellness. So uh, really that's changing. Thought. That's changing the motor to quantify wellness. And again, you have to have products in wellness. Then a lot of venture capitalists and private equity comes to the field. Then you have products. Then you need a policy to regulate it. Now you have an opportunity for regulatory change as well. And now you have opportunity for payers to come and quantify. And I think a lot of the work today is driven by, you know, health economic assessment of even on prevention, even, even on nutrition. And there was a great, you know, part of the Medicare Act of 2019, suddenly Medicare now can pay for nutrition, reimburse some clusters of Medicare patients for nutrition. We see the NIH issuing grants on nutrition, on yoga, on stress management. So actually, the more the health economic assessment comes to prevention and we can quantify the better the, we can boost this entire entire field. Because unfortunately, like everything in life is driven by financial uh, metrics and savings. Well, it's great news to, to see that some people who are in a position to pay for it are recognizing that because uh, it's, you know, obviously needed. I've heard you present before and I was really struck by the notion that there are, I think you identified four diseases that are really major issues of old age that you think don't have to be diseases of old age, because if we can be younger medically, that maybe we can certainly offset them. Yeah, and this is a notion that actually um, changed my life when when I was focused a lot on disease care and and. Um, and I got introduced to this notion of, of aging being the common, if you want, trunk of the tree of life, and then diseases are branches. And we used to have lives like a, like a palm tree where you live healthy, healthy, and then at the end, you branch out on a disease and you die. Today, we have more trees where you have diseases, you know, starting at a much earlier stage of life. And if you want to think about it in a way, you know, biological age, how old are you from the inside? is probably one of the major or most impactful determinant of the onset of the four diseases that is going to kill 90% of us. I think 87% of Americans die from diabetes or cancer or Alzheimer's or cardiovascular disease. They kill 87% of us. So if you think about it, you don't get Alzheimer's at age 20. Even if you have the APOE gene, you don't get your first heart attack at age 23. And you don't get typically your diabetes type 2 at age 24. You get most of them at later stage in life. And we've accepted that as part of, hey, my father is getting older and maybe he's going to start a chronic disease. So we, but we haven't translated that idea, which, which we have visually embraced and, and, and traditionally embraced into, into medical outcome, which is, wait a second. So if your dad is 75, but we actually care for your dad before and keep him biologically at 65, then we just help your dad with some you know, several years before the onset of one of these four killers. So, and the easiest way to understand this is like a car. You know, you can buy a car in 2017, we're in 2021 today. If you buy it in 2017 and you don't drive it, it's actually going to drive much longer than a car that you bought last year and you drove for 100,000 miles. 
because it was consumed. The, the age, the true age of that car that you drive longer is, is more worn down and is going to show, it's going to express more issues. The engine is going to fall, you know, first on a car that has been driven 300,000 miles versus a car that has been driven only 100,000 miles. So the, the more we use our body from the inside, the more we abuse it. And, and it's, it's stress can impact biological aging, sleep, nutrition, exercise, even human relationship and, and happiness from the inside and the social capital metric. They all can impact the pace at which we age. And, and one of my uh, passion in life and, and full dedication currently with El Mutra, but also professionally across everything I do, is how can we bring new ways to help people slow down their biological age whenever or regardless of the chronological age, the, the chronological clock that's ticking every day. And that's probably the best way to delay the onset of the major killers that are, uh, that are killing loved ones around us. That's really fascinating. So if I understand correctly, if I'm following it right, I know some of my peers you know, and and I'm in my 80s, so some of my peers have been struggling with diseases for years. If I'm understanding correctly, that for many of them, doing the right thing in terms of taking care of themselves can shorten the period of time that they're going to have to be dealing with the the kinds of debilitating uh, diseases that that tend to end life. Is that am I hearing correctly? What what is the the outcome? that you're shooting for if people adapt your, your thinking. Yeah. So, so maybe I was talking about how to delay the onset of one of those diseases. Now, if you already have one of the diseases, say cardiovascular or diabetes or Alzheimer's or autoimmune disease, I mean, then it depends on the course of the disease and the, and the typical management of the disease. There are different ways you can adjust lifestyle but also nutrition and other intervention to at least help the medication that you're, you're, you're taking to get a better outcome. And there's a lot of studies. I mean, probably the simplest one to deal with is are the metabolic ones, so autoimmune and, and diabetes. I mean, diabetes, you know, there's a, there's a minor genetic determinant. There's a type one is a little bit more autoimmune. We'll see what finally medicine will uncover. But if you think about it, 85 to 90% of diabetes or 85% of it is acquired through lifestyle. You gain the weight, you develop insulin resistance, and then your pancreas starts failing, and then you become dependent on insulin. So that this is one of the diseases where if you're still in early stage, even, even at later age in life, but if you're still at early stage of the disease, you can better manage your lifestyle to decrease insulin resistance, regardless of the intervention that you're taking, and then help manage or stop the development or even reverse that condition. Um, you know, same thing for blood pressure. A lot of the blood pressure that we suffer from is related to stress or, or obesity that we gain with age or other lifestyle, uh, you know, issues. And in medicine, we got trained that the solution is a pill every day. It might be uh, a solution for some, but we can definitely, uh, in some cases, impact the course of that disease with lifestyle medicine and lifestyle management. Well, I guess that brings us to what you're doing nowadays. And it sounds like at the heart of your work and your belief system is that what we put into our body and how we deal with nutrition and so on is is one of the major components. And I believe that 
I heard you say things like exercise and sleep and all that. It, there, there are several components of a healthy lifestyle, but since this is your focus, what are you doing these days? What, what uh, is it that you're doing to promote your ideas and help people lead healthier lives? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO and chairman of a company called L Nutra, and L stands for longevity. And there's a dash at the Nutra for nutrition. So, so the premise is, you know, food is the only product we put in our body every day, multiple times a day, right? Every day you put food in your body, multiple times a day. So for us, it must be the biggest poison or the biggest medicine ever discovered if we know how to uncover and use science, not just business premise, because unfortunately nutrition has been up until now more for exploring the taste buds of people and selling them high sugar or high protein or whatever, high fat uh, products. And but if we put true science behind nutrition and we uncover what are the nutritional ingredients that can help us age gracefully, can help us not gain the weight, can help us avoid some of the health conditions or better management, but manage them, then we can use nutrition as medicine. We hear a lot this word food as medicine, but, but we're probably leading that wave by putting biotech level of science behind food. So this is what our company premise is, is once and for all, we want to put evidence-based medicine and hardcore research that, that, for example, you know, pharma uses or the biotech companies behind nutrition to uncover to the world what we should eat every day, just try to stay healthy long. And if we have a health condition, if we're already sick, how can we use food to support the management of our our disease. That's, that's the mission and the premise of our company. So you heard me talking a lot about aging. You heard me talking a lot about lifestyle medicine. I felt that nutrition is the biggest sense, the biggest signal to the body every day. And I wanted to lead that food as medicine movement through Alnutra and, and try to put some um, uh, biotech level of science behind it and, and help people know what, she, what they should eat and when and how. And that when is important as well, because fasting is a big part of what we work on, you know, I think many of your, many of the people listening to us today have started to hear about fasting in the last three or four years. Uh, we've been working on fasting for 23 years and we launched the first fasting products five years ago. So, so we can say we really help humanity go back and, and revisit this fasting and the value of fasting in life. This is something that um, we're really proud of to bring back part of the human diets. Fasting lived with us. Since the first humans were on planet Earth, we never had food all the time. So it was part of how we eat and we lost it. We started eating all the time. Food supply has become and food marketing has become very powerful. And now we eat almost all the time and we're able to put some science behind fasting and show the world what could be the benefits of going back and eating how we're supposed to eat, including the fasting part of it. Okay, so the the notion of fasting, as as you pointed out, has caught on quite a bit, but it's all over the place. From you know intermittent fasting to fasting with that's with only water to fasting for a day to other kinds of things. Uh, you said that there's a particular science behind your approach. So number one, can you explain the approach and you know what the, the support for it is, how it differs from other types of, I, I don't know whether you would call yours intermittent fasting or I know that's a, a term. That's, okay, so, so, um, 
Yeah, but to simplify fasting to 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 our listeners, you know, there's there's two types, and I'm I'm going to keep it a little bit, you know, simple and 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 high level. There's two types of fasting. Either either you fast on a short for a short period of time, and it's between a few hours to max two days, or you fast longer than, and that's called intermittent fasting, the short one, zero to two days, or you fast beyond two days. It's called then periodic or prolonged fasting. And that two days cutoff is actually the most scientists can agree to it because before the first two days, when you fast, when you do intermittent fasting, meaning two hours till 48 hours, your body has enough fat and your liver has enough energy to, to, for neoglucogenesis. So you have enough reserve in your body to cope with this first crisis, let's call the first two days. You know, a crisis happens to this body, I'm fasting, but I still have some reserve. This is why reserves are there for to, uh, it's like um, when you have a company and you don't have revenues, you still have a bank account to lean on. And your bank account typically serves you for a couple of days. When you go across these two days, you start, the crisis is so high. Again, imagine you're running a company and, and you've been two weeks now with no funding. You've got to start doing some structural changes and functional changes. You start letting some people go, you start reforming how you spend the money, you start putting policies, you cut some of the unnecessary budgets, the travel budget. So the body does the same thing with the cells. It says, look, I supported you from the fat, from breaking down fat and asking the liver to dump some calories. But now you got to tell the cells, you got to be more effective in how you, you use your calories and look for any intracellular debris and organelles that you can consume and, and you can you can work with. So that process is called autophagy. Auto for cell, phagy for eat. So the body starts eating the in the inside of the cells, but the debris, the organelle things that are left over and tries to optimize the performance of the cell as a survival mode. So this is when fasting becomes a positive stress for the cells to correct. And we call that autophagy and, and we won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2016, that process of autophagy uh, as, a, as a stress response to fasting. And there was a big driver behind that movement in fasting is that we're used to hearing the word diet every, you know, for, for decades and diet meant, mainly meant eat less calories so that you lose weight. So fasting today has become a big trend because it's not only that you lose the weight and you lose it, by the way, very fast, but it actually engages your cells into this rejuvenative process of autophagy. And by rejuvenating your cells, it's biologically younger. And therefore, the biological age of your body could kind of, you could decelerate a little bit the, the, the progression of the, of, of the aging of your body. This is, these are the theories, the scientific theories of behind fasting and why, why it has gained a lot of attention. Now, when you come to practice, most people, they do fasting for 14 or 16 hours a day. And that practice is the practice of intermittent fasting. And it's more specifically, it's called time-restricted eating, meaning you're restricting the food intake to only eight hours or 10 hours a day, and you're fasting for the remainders of the day. You, you typically go to sleep. You, know, you get your dinner, say, at 6, 7, max 8 p.m., you sleep and the next morning you skip your breakfast or you push your breakfast to brunch time or lunch time. And then you try to fast for 12, 14 or 16 or 18 hours. Different people do it differently. What we are sure from a scientific standpoint that 
the 12 hour at least, we call it fasting today, but it's almost the way we should eat, the way how humanity ate for hundreds of thousands of years. The sun is down, there's no electricity or refrigeration or midnight snacking or Uber Eats. The sun is down, the family gets, you know, a dinner and then, and then the next day when the sun is up, you go and seek food. So it's almost part of our biological clock to fast for 12 hours. And, and the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2017, the year after, was about that biological clock of the organs and the body. So we live based on day and night like other creatures, and, and it's important to not eat all the time and at least for 10, 12 hours just to stay without the food. And it makes sense. You put money in the bank and then you gotta spend it. So you put food in your body and allow your body to digest it and then start spending it because if you keep putting in, you're gonna be obese. And that's the basic concept. Now, some people that already have some overweight and 73% of America carries an overweight, they can go a little bit beyond up to 14 hours. Now, a lot of people are pushing to 16 and 18 hours and it's a little bit tricky. The science is not clear there. Because the science is showing that you, you know, okay, you can lose some weight the longer you go. Um, and, and if you don't binge eat after, but also you're remember that you're starving the brain for 18 hours when you fast this long, you're starving your heart. You still, that has to pump all the to pump all the time. There's no switch in the body where you say, oh, there's no food, let me use, let me break down fat and we'll be all fine. There's a stress. So you did. You're losing fat, but then if you go 16 hours and 18 hours, and it's, it's the essential organs are also not eating properly. Now, definitely the liver tries to help. There's glycogen that, that is also brought in to, to support, but there's a stress, and we see that. If you fast for 18 hours, you start having a headache, you feel a bit weak. So we know that some of the essential organs suffer. So we don't know really if it's fully healthy to go all the way to 16 and 18 hours. Now, if you're pre-diabetic or you're really, really obese and, and the short-term risk from that is very high, maybe it's worth it to go all the way there to lose the weight pretty fast and, and pull away from getting from becoming diabetic. So on a high level, fasting 12 hours pushed to 14, I think should be practiced by most people. And it's not fasting, it's just the way of eating should be. Pushing it a little bit to 16 if you're overweight, but I don't know how how valid it is to go all the way every day to 18 hours and 20 hours. That's a little bit of summary here about intermittent fasting and when what to do and who should do what. Now, when you go beyond that, this is why our company exists. We, we actually, we sell and we, we research scientifically and we sell what we call a fasting mimicking diet. And we were born out of University of Southern California. And, and this is where probably they call it the Mecca of fasting. And most of the fasting science comes from there, and particularly from uh, the laboratories of Walter Longo. You know, Time Magazine had nominated him among the top 50 most influential people in health for research on fasting. And Dr. Longo showed that when you fast now for several days, so you're creating the crisis mode, and, and the cells are trying to respond and correct under the stress. He had shown that there's, there could be some benefits, health benefits, starting with mice doing that practice. And we went to human. Water fasting was so difficult to, to do for two and three and four days. And the National Institute of Health, you know, which is the most legitimate probably grantor of, of funds in the U.S., seeing the results of his work and respecting the science behind it, gave him multiple grants in order to go and develop the fasting mimicking diet, meaning can you feed the body but keep the stress at the cellular level? How can we nourish that body but 
go under the radar of the sensors of the cells that say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm eating versus I'm still starving. And that's the, that was the breakthrough formulation behind the fasting mimicking diet is a food that you can consume and you can consume it, you know, prolong the intermittent fasting or you can consume it to fast up to five days. You'll be eating for five days, but your body is actually, the cells are still feeling the stress of fasting. And big thank you for the National Institute of Health and now 16 universities around the world doing the research with us on the fasting mimicking diet to see whether there are benefits in, in prevention and management of, of, of health conditions. I, I wouldn't go into details of diseases because we're in research and we haven't kind of launched those and I don't want to go off-label, but a lot of promising science on how our body behaves when it has a nutritional signal vis-a-vis aging and supporting the management of certain conditions. Well, first of all, thanks for that detailed explanation, which I'm sure was helpful for us to really understand the stuff. I do have several questions. I do think I should point out that that since we're talking about a commercial product, uh, we're not making an endorsement, but we're being educated about it. And that's the basis for the, the questions that I have. One of which is, as I understand it, then people will purchase five days worth of this fasting, mimicking food or whatever we may want to call it, is uh, before somebody starts on it, should they be checking with the physician? Uh, is there any you know, contraindication for, for doing that? Yeah. So, so to, today, to be very specific, we, we are selling the fasting mimicking diet. It's called FMD or fasting mimicking diet. We sell a very specific version of it that is positioned for weight management and healthy aging. And we call it Prolon. So Prolon is sold as a five-day food that you can take and keeps you, gives you the signals of fasting. And it's mainly positioned, again, for weight management and healthy aging. We've done the trial for people with from age 20 to 70. And with that, if you don't have a health condition and you are between age 20 and 70, you can take the, the fasting mimicking diet without necessarily having a physician supervision. Now, if you have a healthcare condition or you're beyond, you know, age 70, then we definitely recommend that you check with your health care practitioner so that you don't have any uh, any condition that that wouldn't work well with, uh, with the fasting regimen for you. Okay, thanks for that. I uh, also am trying to get around the notion of fasting and diet or food at the same time. What kinds of things, I don't need specifics, but in, in general, are we talking about solid food, shakes? What, what, yeah. what kinds of things are in there? Well, it's definitely a big oxymoron. It's called fasting mimicking diet, but it was, it was definitely one of the biggest nutritional breakthrough. And, and this is why it was awarded multiple patents actually uh, in the U.S. and abroad. There's over 200 patent cases uh, around the fasting mimicking diet. And if you want the general highlights of it, it's, it's, it's in the form of we made it as consumer friendly as possible. So it has bars, has soups, have crackers and have a, a drink as well and supporting supplements. If you're wondering how you can mimic fasting with food, you know, the main concept is that we provide the body with specific sequences of amino acids, uh, you know, when it comes to proteins that do not over trigger the, the post protein and, you know, growth hormones. So specifically IGF and some like growth factors. So specific sequences of amino acids. 
specific sequences of carbs and complex carbs, then we don't overshoot insulin in the body as well. And we don't spike glucose. And then we have also healthy fats, plant-based source of healthy fats. And that is the combination that basically nourishes the body in a healthy way while still going under the radar of the cells. Now, I'm just simply finding it. There's 18 ingredients in that box and, and 23 years of research about which amino acid and which complex carb and what time of the day and what time of the night and which combination and which ingredients. So it's a, a lot of uh, tens of millions of dollars and, and years of work. But the concept is that it's plant-based and it is um, rich in healthy, good fats and plant-based sources of protein and, and, and complex carbs. So I think you've answered my next question is, uh, what if I decided for five days just to kind of do protein shake, power bars, or something that I couldn't replicate it uh, yeah. without, that, that there is a sequence that, that's yes. really important. Uh, it's not just five days and we're eating less and and that that would be called yeah because there's a very fine line between because you can fast by starvation if if today you eat one cucumber in the morning and whatever a tomato at night right you you'll still be fasting you're not nourishing you have billions of cells in your body you're not you didn't eat enough to nourish that but you'll be fasting by starvation you cannot comply with it. It's going to be, it's, again, it's going to undernourish your essential organs and it's not the healthiest way to fast for several days. Now, there's the opposite, which is some people try to fast. I'm fasting on a protein shake. Well, protein actually is a big nutritious element to the body. Actually, you can grow the body and you can grow muscle with it. It's not a fasting element. And it, it spikes specifically something called IGF or insulin-like growth factor. It's a good factor. So you cannot fast while drinking high levels of protein. Actually, you're, you're doing the opposite. You're sending a pro-growth, pro-aging signal to the body. So there's a very fine line which you don't want to undernourish. And if you overnourish, then you're not fasting. And this is what took us a long time to study that fine line and what ingredients can still nourish your body, not starve your body while keeping the signal of fasting. It's really, really interesting. Uh, it's uh, We're going to run out of time before I run out of questions, but there are some that I think are quite important. One of which is once you do it for five days, are you done or is it something that you're supposed to repeat or how how's this thing work? If you're healthy and, and fit and you want to do it mainly for cellular rejuvenation purposes, you can do it just two or three times a year. So you do your five days and you wait some four or five months, you do another one. So two to three times a year, just for cellular. It's, it's like taking your car to the mechanics. The same thing, you know, or, or if you're driving a NASCAR or a Formula One car, you go to the pit stop twice. <laughs> you rejuvenate and change and put the system in check. Now, if you have, if you're carrying overweight or, you know, you have a specific health goal in mind, then what we have tested is you do it like three or four times in a row meaning just five days, month one, five days, month two, five days, month three, and you have 25 days in between to go back to your, to your lifestyle, then that would be the first kind of uh, protocol, three months or four months, once a month. And then you can maintain by just doing it once every quarter. So that, these are the two, if you want a regimen, so two or three times a year, if you're healthy, otherwise, if you, you're concerned about your aging process or your weight management or have a, a bigger or more aggressive health goal in mind. You can do it in a row for three months or four months and then maintain once every quarter. 
And as both a psychologist and someone who feels a little intimidated by the idea of five days, I got to ask about psychological side effects. Are you familiar with the term hangry? Yeah. I mean, is does that fit in somewhere or how yes. do you avoid it or so? Yes. And this is why the food, right? So this is why this is what the uh, intent of the uh, designers of the food and the National Institute of Health and University of Southern California and our founder is to make that as low as possible by giving you the food and nourishing you. But on day two or and to most on day three is when your body transitioning from, you know, breaking the fat and being happy that it has enough reserve and eating a little bit from going into ketones and living off the ketone bodies. This is where uh, many of the consumers would say, hey, it was a painful day two or day three as a transition day. But otherwise, the flight is the, 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 the five days. Just to give you some statistics, in the clinical trials, 95% of people completed the five days. In the market, when we do, um, and now we have over probably six, 700,000 people who have done it. Um, when we do our surveys, compliance is between 89 and 93%. So it seems, you know, there are 5% who will find it difficult for them. But again, the purpose of nourishing was to decreasing that hangriness. It will still happen on day two or three of transition, but most people go through it. Okay, that's quite, a, quite impressive because, again, five days sounds intimidating to me, but the fact that so many people have completed it is, is really impressive. Because it's food. It's food. It's not fasting, yeah. Which leads me to maybe my last question. We talked about the fact that, that nutrition is one part of a kind of healthy lifestyle. I guess I'm wondering what happens. Is there any uh, recommendations for how you eat when you're not going through this? Uh, is there, I'm assuming you can still do a lot of damage uh, to your body and to the aging process if you are not maintaining some kind of a, a healthy eating pattern. So are, are there some recommendations as to how you handle the rest yeah. of the time? Yeah, our founder, Walter Longo, again, a, a professor of longevity at USC, and he wrote this book called The Longevity Diet, which I think was Amazon's bestseller for 2018. In the Longevity Diet book, he describes what he's been, he has been studying for a good 20 years, which is how, what should we eat for longevity? And fasting was a big part of it, but also what to eat every day. And he kind of approached this from five angles, the science angles, the history and evolution angle, the epidemiological angle, and interviewing people who lived 100 and beyond and see what they ate. And a big common factor to all these angles for him, and he adds systems biology to it, is that a pescatarian and pescatarian diet, which is a plant-based diet with then the main animal source of meat would be from seafood, uh, fish and others, was probably the diet that we lived in the longest as humans. You know, humans had to live around rivers for the longer time. They, they, the, the ocean or, or the sea water is, is not a water that you can drink. So we were around the river where you had water that you can use to bath and drink, but also you had Around, around rivers, you have green in the trees and trees and all of that. So it was easy to find fruits and vegetable and food. So it was important to live around the rivers. And fish was the only animal that could not run or fly or, or and it was easy to fish. So a pescatarian diet is probably the diet that our body has been sculptured with for the longest. And a few thousands of years ago, when we learned how to hunt, this is when we started having some meat. So what we call the flexitarian diet which is having meat 
rarely or, or getting closer to that Mediterranean diet are probably the two types of diets. So a lot of plants and, and, and fruits and vegetables and from time to time fish. And for some, you know, meat, and we can go much deeper in, in discussion. If you're above age 65, you're going to need more of meat because you, you, the rate of absorption decrease and, and muscle becomes an organ of longevity and mobility becomes very important. So personalized nutrition is definitely the next phase of nutrition. And, and a person who's 17 is different than a person who's 40 and definitely different than a person who's 80 and what they should eat. But for the, for the, for the common mid-age adult, probably a pescatarian and flexitarian diet is the most fit for, uh, for longevity purposes. This has been absolutely fascinating. And you haven't gotten to all my questions, so we may have to get you back to, to answer yeah. those. But I uh, entered this as sort of a skeptic, really answered a lot of questions, uh, the fact that it's science-based. I have to say, personally, I remember in my early 30s meeting an older person who basically said the worst thing to have happen is to reach old age and have a lingering illness that is going to interfere with quality of life and so on. Since yeah. then, it's been kind of my goal for myself and now to spread to others how we can maximize our potential to live as long as we can with the quality of life that we want. I think enthusiasm is a major part of it, but we've got to fuel the body appropriately and know how to maintain it. And this has been absolutely wonderful. So as I said, I've got a lot of questions. I'm sure listeners do too. How do they find you and El Nutra and uh, everything, uh, find out more about what, you, what you're doing? Yeah. Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, l-nutra.com, and they can see our research. They can, they can get in touch with us uh, through that and definitely on our social media platforms. So happy to answer any requests. I typically, when they address me as a CEO, the emails get to me and I do answer each one of them. Um, but if you want to read more and see more about our research and, and, and discoveries, the best way to start with it will find our website, almutra.com. And I also can attest to the fact that uh, Dr. Antoon has been interviewed in other places and you can find uh, other videos and, and information about him. Again, it's, it's really, really been helpful. The contact information will also be in the show notes. And we look forward to hearing more about El Nutra, more about this whole process of, uh, again, it would seem like an oxymoron, you know, fasting with food, but uh, geez, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, but again, I think everybody has to explore things on their own, see what fits. And again, the company and Dr. Antoon will certainly be responsive to your questions. And so that brings another, you know, terrific episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser to a close. I want to thank Dr. Antone for his wonderful presentation and his responsiveness to the questions. I hope that you will listen to the podcast, uh, download it, come back and listen to it, rate it, uh, you know, subscribe if you haven't subscribed to our podcasts. 
and comment upon them. And until next time, then, when you know we're going to have another very interesting, informative guest to help us lead our lives enthusiastically and hopefully with enhanced longevity. This is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off and wishing you all a good week. And remember, we're still in a pandemic, so stay safe.